Hey, good morning, good afternoon, or good evening, depending on when you are listening to or indeed watching this episode, episode 117 of Hypnosis Week. As always, it's me by birth, Alex William Smith, but better known to many of you as Jonathan Royal, hypnotist of hypnosisweek.com and magicalguru.co.uk. And boy, have I got a guest for you this week. Before I introduce you to him and this guy, I've got some questions that are going to blow your mind, audience listeners, and so you want to stay tuned here. But they've got a new book out. And the reason I say they is that this gentleman who I'm about to introduce you to is called Patrick Fagan. And along with his co-author, Laura Dodsworth, who is a journalist and also has previously had a book out called, and I look at my notes here so that I don't misquote it, but it's called A State of Fear. And it's all about how COVID-19 was weaponized. Fear was used against the mass populace during the pandemic. This gentleman who I'm about to introduce you to, depending on which way this recording comes out, is on the left or right hand side of me, also has a book out uh, called Hooked, Why Cute Cells and Other Marketing Magic We Just Can't Resist. And we'll talk a little bit about that as well later on. But the book we're going to talk about most today is the one that they jointly released. Okay, you'll find it on Amazon and all major booksellers um, by searching Patrick Fagan or Laura Dodsworth. And of course, the name of the book, which is Free Your Mind, subtitled The Must Read Expert Guide on How to Identify Techniques to Influence You and How to Resist Them. I'm just going to read you before I introduce you to Patrick and bring him onto the stage, so to speak, what it says on the Amazon listing. Okay. The Amazon listing, which points out that this was an instant Sunday Times best-selling book, okay? Learn how to recognize and resist the daily attempts to control and manipulate your mind. There's a war on for your mind. You may not notice it, but you are surrounded by manipulators, advertisers, politicians, big tech, even the humble waiter who asks, still or sparkling water? Free Your Mind is your field manual to surviving the information battlefield. In this indispensable book, Laura Dodsworth and Patrick Fagan draw on interviews with mind control experts, ranging from monks to magicians, infiltrate cults and forums to uncover their most deceptive techniques and expose the hidden tactics used to influence you from social media to subliminal messages. Learn how to recognize the nudges, dispel efforts to brainwash you, and always question those who say the choice is yours. If you don't control your mind, someone else will. Please welcome to Hypnosis Week, episode 117, one of the authors, the man himself, Mr. Patrick Fagan. How are you doing, Patrick? Hi, I'm good, thanks. Thank you for having me. Hey, thanks for being here. One thing I want to point out straight away, people, when they go searching, they'll find out straight away that you, amongst, on your website, it mentions the fact that you were a former lead psychologist at Cambridge Analytica. Yes. And lis listeners of my podcast will know that in the past I've interviewed uh, a fellow hypnotist and friend of mine, Neil Sanders, who has a um, website, Neil Sanders. Uh, mindcontrol.co.uk where on his blog and podcast that are free he did a massive um, I'm going to say expose but it's but before it became in the public domain as it is now through all the Netflix documentaries and whatnot about Cambridge Analytica and how they 
um, appear to have influenced, nudged people, brainwashed, hypnotized, call it what you will, people uh, to vote a certain way in various political elections around the world, Brexit, Trump and whatnot. So I think the first thing so we can get it out of the way before we go on to the book that I should ask, otherwise listeners and viewers will be going, why aren't you asking him this is, did you know what the actual main purpose of Cambridge Analytical was when you were working for them? Did you know it was a government military grade PSYOP weapon? Uh, well, I should specify that I was in the commercial team at Cambridge Analytica. So they had a political team and a commercial team. So I was, right. okay. I was helping to use targeted advertising for bottled water and investment apps. Um, I didn't really have much uh, influence or involvement in the political side of things at, at that company. Um, did I know? Well, so I was there for the last seven months um and so i joined after the trump campaign so i knew these techniques were being used uh, for politics i'm fairly apolitical so I, I didn't really wasn't really all that fussed about who they were using it for to be honest um and uh i was as a psychologist like really um, i suppose impressed uh by the use of these techniques and kind of keen to learn more about it um i do think there is, uh, and we talk about this in the book, but there's a big kind of illusion and there's a lot of theatre, I think, around the name Cambridge Analytica and what they did and didn't do. Um, so, which I'm very happy for people to believe because they think I'm some kind of MK Ultra magician, uh, which has not been bad for business. Um, so they had some very, they did some very cool things, sophisticated things, uh, probably did influence elections, but I think to... To, to call it brainwashing and mind control at a mass level is probably taking it a bit far. It was essentially targeted advertising. There was another offshoot uh, called SCL. Isn't, isn't that just, yeah, SQL Strategic Communications, um, which is stuff that Neil Sanders goes into. And the, well, yeah. the, I mean, the evidence undeniably shows that they were influencing people to change their political viewpoints where if they had not been targeted through all the data points and bits of information that had been um it appears illegally harvested through things like facebook platforms because facebook have recently had to settle with a lawsuit and pay out people uh, a share of a big pot of money for their data being um shared um that without that information being used against people weaponized so to speak that they probably wouldn't have changed their political opinions mm -hmm. now how, this is a two-part question one how much were you aware that was going on because some of this is semantical i would argue it's all mind control because any form of communication that's used to alter somebody's beliefs feelings emotions thoughts um or reactions without their conscious knowledge that it's going on i would argue is mind control um and obviously that's covered in many different facets in in the book free your mind whether you call it advertising political influence cambridge analytic or mk ultra all of them kind of are mind control i would argue what, what you know come back on me on that 
as it were. Yeah, absolutely. So we say in the book, uh, all forms of communication are a form of influence. Um, to get very, to get a bit a bit woo woo about it, the word spell has a double meaning. Uh, so to spell is to put letters or symbols in an order to influence what's at the top of people's minds and therefore change their behavior and thus manifest reality. And that's what a spell in the magic sense is as well. It's the manipulation of symbols to, to change reality. And that's really what all communication is. So even in this conversation, I'm saying certain words in a certain order uh, in order to influence what you and your listeners are thinking. <clears throat> so yes, absolutely. It was a form of persuasion, brainwashing, mind control, if you want to be extreme, but everything is to a certain extent. And, um, you know, we could talk about the targeted advertising of Cambridge Analytica and beyond, which is effective. And there's there's academic research to, to support that. But there's also Hollywood, uh, academia, the media. Uh, these are all, I would say, much bigger powerhouses of of influence especially i would certainly time. agree that the media whether that be through films as you say and what mm. i'm going to say that people in the truth or conspiracy community i'm using that term loosely law but people who tend to draw attention to these things would say that in things like films they refer to it as things like predictive programming mm -hmm. yeah um what's your view on things like that um <clears throat> so we have a chapter in the book on symbolism Okay, cool. Predictive, predictive programming uh, maybe a step a bit too a step too far for me, perhaps. But um, I'm open to it. But I, I'm aware of the examples that people raise around it, um, and they are a bit uh, spooky, let's say. But I think they can just be coincidences. But there's two things in the book we talk on, about which touch on this. One is uh, the illusion of choice and the illusion of control, and that really influences. Someone's trying to change your mind. They need you to feel like it was your decision. Um, they can't force you into it. You, you can't push a donkey from behind, as one of our interviewees said for the book. Um, so you need to make people feel like it was their choice. And so there is this idea uh, of uh, what's it called revelation of the method so that people, they need to let you know what they're doing to you so that you accept it on some subconscious level. So, you know, there's no evidence for this. There's no scientific papers. It's all a bit kind of fuzzy. So I'm not I'm not endorsing that, but it is an interesting theory. And then the second thing, we have a chapter on symbolism, uh, which is undoubtedly used in movies, music videos especially. I mean, you can't really watch music videos without seeing the, the one eye or the... The, the black and white checkered floors and Masonic floors, stuff like that. The, the question is, you know, is there some grand conspiracy, occult magic happening there, or is it just pop stars trying to be cool? I don't know, but it's definitely being used, and it definitely or probably has some kind of psychological effect on people. When you see a symbol, it kind of resonates with you, possibly at a deep subconscious level um in the book we talk about the research around innate releasing mechanisms uh so these birds who have been raised for generations um in captivity and they've never seen a predator in their life their their parents and grandparents have never seen a predator but if you take a cardboard cutout in the shape of a predator and move it above them they start to panic so this symbol this shape unlocks a hardwired response 
and it's probably the same to a certain extent in humans. And that's what people like Carvian talk about in terms of archetypes. If you see a certain character or story, you just deeply kind of resonate with it and understand what it is. I think those kind of symbols are used to manipulate how people feel and think and ultimately behave uh, in pop culture. But as for whether that means there's some <clears throat> grand satanic occult conspiracy, well, there's no evidence for that, as far as I know. Someone argued the race, but that isn't the debate for today. <laughs> the point is, at the very least, uh, there is evidence, as you say, that symbolism is the language of the unconscious subconscious mind. Hmm. Um, and that's why um, one of the things I know that in recent years, the 77th Brigade or 77th yeah. Battalion, I always get it wrong, Brigade or Battalion, the, U the UK Army's Division for Psychological Warfare, is, uh, PSYOPs for short, do is the use of memes, pictures with words on mm -hmm. that get, made to go viral through social media but actually because the words are with the image it kind of bypasses it goes in quicker it bypasses the critical faculty mm -hmm. that's used a hell of a lot these days isn't it yeah so we also have a chapter in the book um called get it in writing which is about yeah. the effect of imagery especially video because as you say it kind of bypasses uh, the conscious watchdog, as it were, it just goes straight to your emotional brain. Uh, images have what's called pre-attentive effects. So they influence you before you're even consciously aware of what you're looking at. Um, so news stories with images in are better remembered, more persuasive, that kind of thing. Um, and there's also this effect where if you see something visually, you tend to kind of believe it and it sticks with you, uh, even if it's later debunked um, and then with memes there's this uh, kind of meme warfare approach where these images are made super it, it, I guess it's like gain of function but for an image you know they're, they're deliberately made in a way that's going to be made that they're going to be spread and go as viral as possible um, so they use I don't know uh popular culture because we re all recognize it and we pay attention to things that are familiar or they might use cute animals uh, because we are hardwired to pay attention to cute things for evolutionary reasons um, so it's really taking that image uh, element and then rounding up on steroids by working out what's the most attention grabbing engaging stimuli and also I guess it's kind of a natural laboratory in that stuff will only get shared if it has that viral potential. So uh, it's kind of a survival of the fittest of memes, as it were. And on some level, it's got a pressure, an emotional button, hasn't it? The same as with marketing. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Um, content which engages people rationally is generally not as persuasive and effective as things that push an emotional button. So make people angry um upset or extreme emotions i'm guessing uh are more likely to cause a viral response yeah so there's two dimensions roughly that an emotion can be categorized on there's positive to negative or negative to positive i should say and there's uh uh arousal so how exciting it is how stimulating it is generally speaking the 
most stimulating emotions uh, go the most viral. Um, and <clears throat> it doesn't matter too much whether they're negative or positive, though it can depend on the context. But negative emotions, I think, are a bit stronger. I know there's a study or a meta-analysis of studies uh, which found that fear is the emotion which is most likely to activate the emotional part of the brain. So it's the strongest emotion. There's also a study <clears throat> on the New York Times where they found that, uh, well, what they did was they scraped all the text from these articles and they collected data on whether it went viral or not. And they found that the uh, the strongest predictor of going viral was anger. So the more angry uh, the article made people feel, the more likely it was to go viral. So yeah, get people upset, push those buttons. That's why Twitter's so popular, right? Well, I know that in the media, because I, I, years ago I worked in the media along part of my journey, and there was a saying, which is still there, and of um, if it bleeds, it mm -hmm. leads, meaning yeah. the more horrific or tragic or emotion gut wrenching the story was, the more the more front page prominence or airtime it got because that would get rile people's emotions. Yeah, so we have something called the negativity bias. So we tend to pay more attention to negative information, probably because of uh, evolutionary reasons. And so what we've ended up with is kind of um, an exploitation of that bias in the same way that junk food exploits our need for sugar and salt, which used to be adaptive, used to be good for an evolutionary perspective. But now uh, there's so much sugar and salt that actually, like it's that's being used against us. Um, in the same way, you know, it's good for us to be sensitive to threat and danger. But now that's being kind of hijacked by this 24-hour news cycle, which is just constant negative emotion, uh, which is probably not very good for us. Um, we have a, again, we have a chapter in the book called uh, "Choose Your Illusion," which is about the fact that um, you can pay attention to this kind of negative stuff if it bleeds it leads or you can kind of curate your own information world as it were your own reality and do you you turn into what you tune into so although it seems a bit kind of depressing and dreary actually there's a lot of power in that empowerment that you can improve your reality and yourself by choosing what you consume yeah your product of your environment whether that be through news sources that, frankly, my opinion is most media is completely not a bollocks. Um, it's either propaganda, not little more than propaganda, um, or it's a politicalised weapon. You've only got to look at the likes of Murdoch have, having backed every winning prime minister in decades to see that... Mm something's not quite right but anyway that's going off on, on a tangent slightly you mentioned the I word agree. fear now the word fear false evidence against reality i know that laura in her book uh covid19 book a state of fear goes into how fear it, it was used as a psychological tool and weaponized during the, the pandemic is it something you also cover um obviously more in perhaps a different context in free your mind, because obviously if you get people in a state of fear, if their mind's taken up consciously, as it were, concerned, scared or worried or just overly thinking about something, that in itself, fixation, is meaning that 
other messages, other programs, other suggestions, commands, or brainwashing, call it what you will, are more likely to go directly into the unconscious, subconscious mind. So fear is a great way of putting people into arguably a hypnotic state. Um, do you go into that? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the book, we do touch on COVID-19 and, and all of the okay. response to that, but it's like a broader book about propaganda and, and websites and, and politicians and all the rest of it as well. But we do touch on it. Um, but yeah, absolutely. So fear, there's a few things. The first is that it kind of, uh, as you say, switches off the watchdogs of the mind, uh, overwhelms people um, and allows the, the messages to seep in, seep in. It also means people act more on heuristics, uh, which means they put less kind of careful thought into things and are more likely to fall upon rules of thumb, like the authority bias or the social proof bias. So when we're scared, we're much more likely to follow the crowd and to follow the experts and the, the leaders, um, which generally speaking is probably a good thing, but it can also be used against us. Um, also, fear can uh, generally wear people down over time. Stress, as you probably know, is not very good for you. So it has a kind of bamboozling effect. Um, and as I'm sure you know, if, if you bamboozle people, it's then much easier to implant uh, kind of suggestions and commands and so on. Uh, it's called the disrupt and reframe technique. Um, and interestingly, there's a book called- Which just for viewers and listeners who've got any of my training materials, that, that Patrick just alluded to, I call it, it's the same thing, but I just refer to it as the confusion and disorientation approach. But it's the same thing if you're looking at the stuff. So that's what Patrick just uh, mentioned. Yeah, there's there's loads of names I've seen for it. Actually, it's very interesting. Um, there's also the fear and relief technique, which is kind of similar. And even um, again, don't want to get too conspiratorial or woo woo, but I don't know if you know uh, Baphomet, the goat-headed deity. Yeah. Mm -hmm. If you look at illustrations. There's a tattoo, I guess, on, on his arms that says solve a coagula, which means dissolve and coagulate. So break something down and then build it back up. Um, so it's all the same thing about kind of disrupting people, breaking down their conscious uh, kind of habits and thoughts and patterns and so on. And then you can implant new stuff in the in what's left. Which I'm so glad you mentioned that because it segues wonderfully into kind of going back to the beginning. Because at one point you said, oh, talking about things like MK Ultra is uh, perhaps a bit extreme end. However, the stuff that's being used in advertising and marketing um, or political campaign, just in everyday life generally, to influence, persuade and control people, has its roots in MK Ultra that was viewers and listeners who don't know was set up by the CIA shortly after um, the war when Joseph Mengel was smuggled in with Operation Paperclip into America and they started doing trauma-based mind control experiments. And a lot of what they learned from that, because they were linked at the same time with the Tavistock Hospital in England, which later morphed into the Tavistock Institute of Human Relations, which is sat in the same bloody office on a back street in London as the British Psychological Society, same building, as the people who prescribe drugs for profit when there's no proof that the drugs actually bloody work. But they also have their offshoot just outside Westminster, linked to them, the Behavioural Insights Team, a.k.a. the Nudge Units. So all of this does, although it sounds extreme to mention MKUltra, all of it has its roots in 
MK Ultra Mic Patrol experiment findings and Operation um, Mockingbird with the media that the CIA said ended in the 70s, but you've only got to look at the media to see that they're corrupt as anything, the majority of them. What was your kind of take on that? Because I know that the book's to help protect people, not just to educate, but it's to help stop them from getting, if you like, screwed over by being influenced, controlled and persuaded without their knowledge and consent. Yeah, so I, I went to uh, university at UCL, so I know Tavistock Square quite well. I used to walk past, past those buildings quite a lot. Um, so yeah, I mean, MKUltra, one interesting thing about that is if you bring it up, there's still this kind of um, stigma, I guess, that you might be called a conspiracy theorist or something, when it's it, it's true. <laughs> like it's, it's, true. It's, yeah. it's admitted. There's published papers that came out of it that you can read on Google Scholar. Um, it's, it's not a conspiracy theory at all. Um, it, it, there is definitely, a, as you say, a kind of link from MKUltra to the type of techniques that are used today. MKUltra, a bit extreme in terms of the fact that they would put people in isolation tanks, for example, and play the same message over and over again, uh, or give people LSD, uh, or there was Operation Midnight Climax where they used prostitutes. I mean, it was all the same kind of thing to break down people's conscious defences. Well, you say a bit, but I mean, isolation, one could argue, and I'm sure this is you either cover it in this book or Laura probably covers it in uh, COVID-19 book, but you could argue that the effects they'd studied on isolation and how it made people more suggestible and influenced mm -hmm. kind of came into play in the pandemic by, during, by locking people down and regimenting that they could only go out for a certain period of time and all that kind of stuff. Uh, you could argue that. And, uh, yeah. One one could definitely argue that, but I, I do, you know there's no there's no leaked white paper that says this was a a deliberate technique. But yeah, I mean all of the so this is what actually inspired me to read about brainwashing and and how a mass of people can be hypnotized and and have their behavior completely transformed almost overnight. Um, was was the lockdowns and all of the response, but. It pretty much, yeah, is is the same playbook, whether that was deliberate or not, but it's extreme stress, uh, isolation, confinement, um, controlling what information people have. Uh, and uh, even there's even some stuff about, about masks, like in Guantanamo Bay, they're made to wear face masks as well. So it makes yeah. you feel more submissive. Yeah. yeah, more submissive. Even there's research with dogs um, where when they're made to wear muzzles, their body language then becomes completely submissive. They lie down, they're tail between their legs. Um, but there's no, you know, you can't say for sure that that was done deliberately. Well, no, of course, of course you can. Um, you've just um, a stunningly um, quaint <laughs> coincidence that there are these... Um, overlaps as it were now this book without a doubt okay i've not read it all yet however what little i have i'm telling all of you viewers and i'm telling you all of you listeners that i already 100 150 unreservedly recommend this book 
It's ridiculously good value for money. It's only £17.99 pence. And that's for the hard that's the hardback book. Okay. Paperback's not out yet. That's hardback. And it's 384 pages, but it, it's not from what I've, I've seen so far, it is not a padded 384 pages. Other people could have padded this out probably to 800 pages. This is to the point pure gold for anyone who wants to understand more about how how we are all being from pretty much all areas of our life influenced persuaded nudged controlled you could use all manner of terms give us a bit of a wider picture to people that the kind of um the kind of areas of life that are covered in the book where where people may not currently realize that these kind of things are being used on them well, thank you for your very kind description of the book. I'll also add another nudge to that and say it is a Sunday Times bestseller now. So there's a social proof nudge there as well. Um, so, yeah, it covers a wide range of things. Um, for example, relationships and pickup artists are covered in the book. Um, that's actually uh, how I came into my interest in psychology about uh, 15 years ago, at least. Um, okay. Through things well, like through the game and stuff, the, Neil. The game and uh, Ross Jeffries, you may, may be aware of. Um, yeah, I know Ross. Yeah, we've interviewed him. Yeah. Oh, cool. Um, yeah, so so that's and they're the kind of techniques like um, two steps forward, one step back, that kind of thing. Um, and how that's used, for example, by governments, so, uh, but also day to day when you're shopping. So when you go into the. In the boot camp, my students at the two steps forward, one step back. I call it the push me, pull you technique. Different names, same thing. You find that a lot in the psychological arena that different people call the same thing, different names. But that's what I'm saying, basically. Get the book because you will recognise stuff that you've learned as a hypnotist. Sorry, sorry mm -hmm. to interrupt, Patrick. Continue. Yeah. <laughs> um, so shopping, for example, how, how supermarkets exploit your what's called ego depletion. So they put trinkets and snacks by the checkout because by the time you get there, you're stressed and tired and you're more likely to impulse buy. Uh, when you hire a car, when you get to the airport to hire a car, uh, you're also tired and uh, hungry probably. And so that's when they bamboozle you into buying that useless extra insurance. So shopping uh, is another example. Obviously, pop culture, whether it's TV, music videos, Hollywood movies, uh, that's very much talked about in the book. Um, yeah, so so the whole wide range of any kind of communication that you might come into. So what top tips now? Obviously, the key one is buy the book and then they can learn in depth. But what sort of um, a few suggestions, people get an idea of things that people can do to kind of inoculate themselves or protect themselves against these things or at least become more aware that it is happening to them. Mm. Yeah, so as you say, inoculation is one thing that people can do so they can get immunity uh, from these techniques by being able to spot them. Um, I mean, that only goes so far. These techniques are a bit like an optical illusion. Uh, even if you're aware it's an illusion, you can still be influenced by it. And in the same way, you know, if you were to know that the supply of diamonds was artificially restricted by De Beers, 
to make them scarce and then for more valuable, you could know that rationally and yet you'd still probably love to be given a diamond for free. So um, you can't kind of unthink your way completely yeah. out of this, uh, but you can get a level of immunity. So absolutely buy the book to, to learn more about the techniques. But there are a few other things you can do. Um, one of which is simply to reduce your exposure to these kind of techniques if you don't want to be influenced by them. So we interviewed a magician and asked him, how do you not get tricked by a magician? Uh, and he said, don't go to the show. So in the same way, if, oh, you don't, yeah, if you don't want to get tricked by Hollywood symbolism, for example, you have to kind of stop watching uh, Hollywood movies or at least cut down uh, your viewing of them. So we have a lot in there about uh, television, um, social media, even pornography, with the, the ultimate um, recommendation being to kind of Cut these back a bit, at least, or watch them more mindfully. Don't let them just kind of wrap on your skull, as it were. Um, you can also do things to uh, uplift your your consciousness, as it were. Um, so thanks to ego depletion, you're more likely to be nudged if you're hungry, tired, and so on. So if you have an important decision to make, make sure you don't do it when you're hungry or tired. Don't do it at the end of the day. Try not to watch news, you know, at 10 p.m. because that's really when it's going to get into your subconscious and influence you. Um, there are also other principles. We have a chapter which is titled uh, Stand for Something or Fall for Anything, which is the importance about the importance of having certain principles to anchor yourself to so you don't get swept away. Um, and that can happen on a grand scale. Uh, one book talked about how prisoners of war were less likely to be brainwashed in, uh, in the Korean War if they were Jehovah's Witnesses because they had a really strong like faith and doctrine to kind of cling to okay. for certainty. But it also happens on a smaller scale. You know, if you go to a casino, you're less likely to overspend if you have a budget in mind. Or if you go shopping, you're less likely to impulse buy if you have a list that you're going to buy in advance. So just having a kind of plan, principles, whatever, stops you from being uh, swept away. So those are that's just some examples of some tips. So how, this is a devil's advocate question, so I apologise in advance, but so, do, just I try and ask things that I know viewers or listeners will, will be thinking. Um, that is, you've wrote this book and it, it's got great reviews already coming in. Um, indeed, you know, already... Um, oh, bloody hell. I hit the wrong window there. I'm trying to... Uh, there we go. So already, for example, um, snappily written made me more aware of the nudges and persuasions that were part of my everyday life, The Mail on Sunday. An important new book, Laura Dodsworth and Patrick Fagan have some great ideas for how to recognise nudge unique tactics and how to fight back, The Telegraph. An informative and engaging read, Forbes magazine, an essential and entertaining read, a treasure trove of a book, Critical Therapy Antidote. And I could go on and on. That's just a few random ones. It's getting great reviews, deservedly so. And it's been written by two experts, you coming from the um, psychology, behavioural scientist background, Laura coming from the journalism background, which in itself, media, as we've discussed, is kind of manipulative mind control uh, in certain contexts. How does that balance the fact that you've released this book, which is educating the public and helping inoculate them, when, for example, you are still currently working um, 
or at least you cite indicates so as a chief scientific officer at behavioral science consultancy capuchin and you work for companies helping them to come up with plans to influence people through advertising and marketing and whatnot isn't there kind of a bit of a conflict of interest um kind of so i kind of yeah. see myself a bit like the the magician showing how the magic tricks work um and so that gives people a level of um immunity and security against it if they want that but i am still a magician you know that's still my my job i think where i draw a distinction and maybe come up with an excuse and rationalization for myself is the difference between brands or websites using these kind of techniques and governments using it um because with brands there's which is what i do and some sometimes political campaigns but i, I don't think they really have that much impact on the real world to be honest um, but with brands uh there's kind of a transparent selfishness about what they want and they don't have a kind of moral imperative with their behavior so there's limits to what they can do and you can opt out and it's clear what they want from you um so coca-cola for example uh, they just want you to buy Coke, and you know that. Yeah. And if you enter into a relationship with them, it's clear you know that they're going to do everything that they can to get you to buy Coca-Cola, and maybe your guard is up. Um, and if you don't buy it, then, well, that's it, really. It's not like they want 100% uh, penetration. Well, I'm sure they want 100% penetration of Coca-Cola, but they don't feel it's their moral imperative. It's their duty to, to have it. Um, they don't have a a team dedicated to fighting Coca-Cola hesitancy or anything like that. Whereas with the government, you know, the, the road to hell is paved with good intentions. Um, and the fact that they have kind of total power and total um, moral imperative, that's, I think, what can make it dangerous. Because um, you can't really escape the nudges, can't really opt out. And they feel like you should comply. Um, and I think that's what the difference is. So the work that I do, you know, I don't think I'm ever going to win a Nobel Prize for it. I wouldn't say it's particularly positively ethical, but um, it's just advertising, basically getting people to buy stuff, getting people to sign up on a website, that kind of thing. Um, I don't think it's particularly dangerous or evil. Yeah, I did. Sorry to ask. No, I just know that if I didn't, I would get a viewer list of going, why don't you ask that? Because it does seem a bit odd. On the one hand, he's telling us how it's done. Now, this goes the next stage of playing devil's advocate. I know from my experience as a stage hypnotist, a hypnotherapist, and also time spent as a magician, a mind reader, sort of Darren Brown style, and things I've done behind the scenes using those things, such as getting people to reveal confidential information to me without them consciously knowing that they had done, which I did for the gadget show on Channel 5, to prove it could be done. Because most hypnotists say you can't make people do things against their mm -hmm. moral code or their conscious mind. And that is, in my experience, completely not a bullshit spouted by people who either a don't know what they're doing because they were taught by someone who fed them that same narrative that you can't get people to do things against the moral code or b uh people who do know that it's possible but are scared that if they told the truth they'd lose therapy clients or, or, mm -hmm. or whatever 
what's your view on that? Because mine, bearing in mind that mine is pure and simple this. It's not a case of getting people to do things against their moral code or their values. It's a case of nudging influence and controlling them to believe that their values are in alignment with doing that that you want them to do. Yeah. Um, so I recently read this classic book called uh, Propaganda by... Uh, Edward Bernays. Oh, yeah, that too as well. But this one's by a French philosopher. Uh, oh, right, okay. Same title, uh, different person. Oh. This one. Sorry, it's... Oh, okay. I have not um, read that one. I'll have to order that. It's, yeah, it's quite... It's good. Um, it's very dense, but in each page has so much interesting information that you have to take a, like a, a breather and just think about what he said. But um, he makes a very good point that propaganda is not really about implanting things in people, but it's about finding what's already within them, their own kind of desires, sometimes repressed desires or fears or anxieties, and then using that as a catalyst, as kind of steam in the engine to drive behavior in the way that you want. And I think that's kind of what you're saying as well. It's about finding out yeah. what 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 is within people and then uh, aligning that with what you want them to do. Yeah, I, I couldn't agree more. That's exactly what I was kind of referring to. And I mean, two books I'll mention, um, because I'd like to ask you view on the bigger picture of that, namely the difference between influencing an individual mm. or in influencing groups of people. Because in yeah. two classic books, um, I think the one that was published first was uh, Extraordinary Popular Delusions and the Madness of the Crowds by Charles Mackey. And then later was published The Crowd by Gustave Le Bon, mm. both of which speak about crowd uh, and group psychology. Could you explain a bit about the difference between, you might, it's easy to influence a group if you can steer them all to the same thought than it is perhaps one individual. Um, so when, when people are together, and I think Le Bon distinguishes between a group and a crowd, Mm -hmm. um, it's been a while since I read it, but a, a, a crowd, so a group is a collection of individuals, whereas a crowd is where people become a bit like a shoulder fish or, or a murmuration of birds. They all move. Yeah. Yeah, they all move as one, like um, yeah, like a shoulder fish, uh, like a single organism together. Um, and so, but, but I think it's kind of the same techniques. I mean, there's breaking down conscious resistance, uh, you know, at rallies, you might have drums or loud music or something, uh, or chants or getting people to walk up and down so they become tired. Um, and then uh, there's kind of a trickle down effect, I think. So you need to find certain influences within the, the group, which everyone else follows. Um, and then when there's that less rational conscious thought, that's when people tend to just do what everyone else is is doing. Um, but yeah, people kind of, when the, I think Jung talked about the emotional temperature, when the emotional temperature is high enough, people lose themselves. And then that's when, again, it's like this breakdown where it all kind of dissolves into one singular mass that moves in in a unified way. But you have to, there has to be that, emotional temperature that's reached first. And so I suppose that's where you'd have propaganda, which stokes up fears, or if people are in person, uh, someone's speaking on a 
stage, you know, wildly gesticulating and and bringing up visions that are fantastical and and shocking uh, with their speech. And again, the drums and the music, all of that to kind of bring up the emotional temperature and melt the the group into a crowd, as it were. Does that make sense? Yeah, totally. I mean, um, uh, almost slightly controversial example, but you just anyone if you go on YouTube and type in, um, why am I now having a mental brain fart block? Benny Hinn, evangelical preacher, and and see him at work and a crowd of thousands of people um, who then get so hypnotized that they think the power of God is knocking them over without being touched. Mm. Um, that kind of visually is a great example of exactly what you've just um, described. I think, so I don't know this person in particular, but I would assume that they, again, get people really worked up emotionally, talk about hell and heaven and demons yeah. and things, and that's when people get overwhelmed and then they're much more likely to be suggestible to the to these kind of techniques of of pushing people over or speaking in tongues and things like that. Yeah, precisely, exactly what 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 they do. And um, crikey, time is fifty minutes already gone. Sorry, where does time bloody go? Um, look, I I, I I I could talk to you for bloody hours, but the the bottom line is, I'm going to cut to what was going to what is my last question for everybody which is basically to give you the floor um and and either you can either look at it as share your top three tips for protecting yourself or the top three observations of how this things that people might, might not have realized this is going on in the world or be as blatant which you can be because i'm saying go and buy this book to everyone who, who listens to this and watches it, don't don't think about it. Um, just actually take action. Go and get the book from the link that'll be above or below this video or the audio podcast. Just click on it, get to Amazon, order it. Um, but you can be displayed. There's the three main reasons why you believe everyone would benefit from getting this book and reading it. The floor is yours, Patrick. Yeah, I mean... People I know who've read the book so far have said that it's changed them, has certainly changed the way that they consume and interact with content. Uh, my wife, for example, I know this is a biased sample, obviously, but she can't listen to her YouTube videos the same anymore because she notices how they get her worked up about something which she wasn't even thinking about five minutes ago and is really con inconsequential. Um, but it just, again, raises that emotional temperature uh, in her, which is kind of addictive, uh, and that's why you keep watching the videos and engaging with it. But um, it's really changed her life in that small sense. Um, it's also, there's a lot of scientific research covered in the book. Uh, we also draw on post-war psychologists, psychoanalysts um, like Jung uh, and Eric Hoffer, um, Fear of Freedom, um, uh, uh, I can't remember what that. Anyway, the, these great books which came out about the psychology of how the mass can, can be manipulated so much. But also, it's uh, an entertaining, kind of engaging read. 
Um, there's lots of uh, real life examples and stories to bring things to life. And also Laura and I did some kind of investigative uh, gonzo type journalism. So I, for example, joined a, uh, it's called a masculinity retreat. Uh, my wife called it a cult. I think that's a bit- I was gonna say, it sounds a bit cultish, <laughs> that, yeah. It, it was a bit cultish, but it was good for me. And so, as I say in that chapter, uh, so we, we did some of these investigations and wrote them up as little stories peppered throughout the book. So it is a fun read, but, as I said in that chapter, isn't it good to give your, your brain a little wash now and then? I mean, if you get married, for example, that is a brainwashing ritual. Um, it has these certain symbolic elements and so on. Uh, but it's a rite of passage that transforms you. Um, and sometimes, you know, those are good for you. Um, but yeah, so there's a story of when I went to this um, retreat in the woods uh, and you can read in that story how it used the techniques we're talking about in the book. So, for example, um, uh, they only fed us nuts and fruit for the weekend. Um, we didn't get much sleep. We were in a kind of a stress position at the start. Uh, they had us answer very personal questions. For example, you get paired with a stranger and you'd have to say what you thought of their appearance and just talk for a minute straight about what you thought of their appearance. So all of these techniques designed to kind of overwhelm you. Um, also your identity yourself was stripped away, all your jewelry was taken, your phone, your car keys, your name even, and you were given a number instead of a name okay. um, to, to break down your identity to make you more malleable. Um, so there's a, there's a lot more to it. There was heavy symbolism as well throughout the weekend. For example, uh, we did a sweat lodge at the end where you kind of slither out naked on your belly on the mud through the flaps of the tent. And obviously that's kind of a symbolic rebirth. Um, so yeah, you can read through these personal stories how the, the techniques can actually come to life in the real world. Um, so it's uh, engaging, it's scientific, um, and it's transformative, I think. Excellent. And my final question, I promise you, and again, this is one's devil's advocate, but it's an oxymoron, paradoxical question. Uh, I said that up front because there is no right or wrong answer. But there is potentially a problem with books like this, isn't there? I'm, I'm saying buy it at the end of the day, right? But there is potentially a problem because you're sharing these things for people to become aware of. And they therefore assuming they pay attention, can become more aware of these things and therefore inoculate themselves, protect, or at least have more control over how it affects them or not. But while they're focused on being aware of these things going on in life, they're less likely to notice things that they haven't learned about in the book, <clears throat> which I'm not, I'm not accusing you of purposely held things back, but is that an element of why you're still working for companies in the marketing? The fact that there are things that you haven't revealed in the book because you, you're over here making money doing that. And actually by revealing a large amount of techniques here, which does help people and protect them and educate them and entertain them and tons of positives, so definitely go and get the book. But by virtue, ironically, that also makes them more vulnerable to certain techniques, namely the ones that aren't revealed in the book. 
Uh, well, there's nothing that we haven't revealed in the book that I that I use in my work. Um, well, obviously, I mean, there are, I have a whole toolkit of things that I use for work. I mean, there's probably hundreds of these biases. We can't really talk about them all in the book, but um, that's not for any kind of Machiavellian reason. It's just because it would be quite a boring and tedious book to go through them all. Um, but it's a very interesting point that you make. And as I'm sure you know, uh, magicians work by keeping your, your eyes focused on a particular place and using misdirection. And you can only focus a very limited spotlight of attention on any one thing at a time. And so wherever you are looking, that illuminated area, uh, there's this whole other non-illuminated area that you're not looking at. And that's where the, the trick takes place. So it's not really possible on the whole to not be tricked because we don't have a, an all-seeing eye. We don't know all of the information and everything that's happening in the world. You're always going to have blind spots, and that's where the manipulation happens. But uh, number one, if you read this book, I mean, you'll be less blind than you were beforehand, so it should help. And number two, there's kind of a power in that. Uh, we have a chapter called Choose Your Illusion, uh, about the fact that you can choose where you're looking at. You can look at a happier, healthier version of reality you know if you want the world to be more poetic you just need to read poetry um but yeah you can't you can't not have blind spots excellent thank you so so much um for putting up with my slightly some of them off the wall questions thank you oh, for your great. honest answers um it's been absolutely fantastic and what can i say other than Go to the link above or below this video or the audio symbol on the podcast channels and grab your copy of Free Your Mind today. I, I, actually, I will. Um, we will finish by me asking you just to tell viewers and listeners a little bit about your other book, which I reckon people should go and get a copy of as well, uh, namely Hooked, Why Cute Sells and Other Marketing Magic We Just Can't Resist, because learning about marketing is something I encourage all my hypnosis students to do, because obviously learning about marketing helps them attract more clients for their business. Um, yeah. Hence, I would say it's wise to get a copy of this book. What will they learn within Hooked? Uh, so it's called The Hooks. Um, it's a bit blurry, but uh, it has a pug on the front. Yeah, we saw the um, pug. So it's the one with the pug. Uh, and I put a pug on the front because, uh, as I mentioned earlier, we are evolutionarily hardwired to pay attention to cute things because our, you know, our offspring wouldn't have done so well if we, if we didn't do that. Um, and so that's why adverts have talking meerkats in, for example, because you'll, you'll pay attention to that. Um, and so that's really what the book is about, not just about cute things, that's just one small part of it, but it's about how do you grab people's limited attention spans, whether it's through, yes, cute things, but also um, surprising things, personal things, emotional things, uh, food and sex and faces, these kinds of things. And then once you have their attention, uh, how do you keep them engaged and get them to actually take on board what you're saying. Uh, and you can do that through fluency. So making it short, simple as possible and using imagery and um, visual metaphor. Uh, you can do it through curiosity, which is kind of rhetorical questions and puzzles and brain teasers, that kind of thing. Um, and you can do it through stories, which are a very effective way to get people to digest and remember information. And then finally, that information you want them to remember and absorb how do you frame that in a way that's going to persuade people uh, and change behavior? 
Um, and then the book applies that to whether it's adverts, emails, letters, uh, PowerPoint presentations, whatever it is, you want to grab attention, engage people and change their behavior. A must read book by the sounds of it. Ladies and gentlemen, metaphorically, please give a huge round of applause to Patrick for kindly sharing this information with us. And the way you can do that is to like this podcast or this video, wherever it is, comment underneath, and share it to help spread the words that other people can learn about free your mind and where to get it from. Thank you so much indeed, Patrick. Thank you everyone for tuning in. Join me again uh, for another edition of Hypnosis Week. Bye for now. <laughs>